All right, friends, welcome to another episode of Mama to Mamas. I'm so excited tonight to be joined by an old friend, Jackie Crown. Thank you so much for being here, my friend, to have a heart to heart on Mama to Mamas. Thank you for having me. I am so honored to be here. Okay, we are in for a treat. So I'm going to give you all context of how Jackie and I know each other, and we're going to dive right in. And once you learn about her background and her what she's currently doing, you're just going to like want to put this episode in slow-mo and bookmark it so you can listen to it on repeat. So Jackie and I met in the best way. It was on our yoga mats back in 2010 or 11. And we quickly learned we were kindred spirits, birthdays a day apart, same sorority, and just a passion for all things health and wellness. Jackie has such an incredible career journey going from a more corporate marketing background to receiving her doctorate in Chinese medicine and dedicating her life to supporting women in the postpartum period through acupuncture, herbalism, doula support, and functional nutrition, all of which we'll get in today. Her branded business is called Fourth House Wellness which everyone needs to go check out. And like I said, when I when I say we're lucky to be receiving her wisdom tonight on Mama to Mamas, I mean that we are really lucky. Jackie is a mom to three littles, and she lives in Northern California with her sweet little family. So are we ready? <laughs> yes, we are. My goodness, you're quite the hype girl, Gina. Thank you. <laughs> this is my favorite part. It's just like sitting and you. reflecting on the connection. So oh, those days so be short. like, a lifetime ago, and yet, oh, if we could squeeze in a 615 yoga class right now, right? that would be so incredible. Right? If we could just be in Anna's class right now, soaking up mm. her amazing playlist and her wisdom. And all her wisdom. Yes. Okay, so let's start with reflecting back on when we were connected in, in real life. You had a totally different career path. And I love, love, love. One of my favorite things in life is unpacking people's journey and the like non-straight and narrow path it takes to get there, but more of the winding road. And I'm so inspired when people kind of change the trajectory of their life to follow their passion and their calling. So why don't we start with your journey to starting Fourth House Wellness, kind of where you were, where you are today, and how you started it. Awesome. Thanks, Gina. So when we met, we were next to each other on our yoga mats, as you said, and I was, I think at the time working at an ad agency, I don't even know if I was at Twitter yet, but I was in a marketing world and I was working this really incredible couple jobs with wonderful leaders and learning so much. And my brain was on fire and it was just such a fun time of life. And as I continued to sort of move through that career, I realized that I loved the chapter of where I was, but it wasn't deeply fulfilling. And I'm one of those people who like, when I'm passionate about something, we're Libras, you know this, when we're passionate, we are all in. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel all in. I felt really blessed to work where I I did and have the experiences I had. And yet ultimately at the end of the day, I didn't feel that. And so while I was still at Twitter, I enrolled in the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. The program was online. Mm -hmm. It was a year functional coaching, nutrition, and really a broad swath of what are all the different ways that you can utilize nutrition for Mm -hmm. your individual wellness. And it was great. It gave me a lot of knowledge about many things, but it didn't give me enough to feel safe in pivoting and really exiting in my current career and moving in. It didn't I didn't feel sharp enough at any Mm -hmm. one thing. I felt Mm -hmm. like I had a lot of really interesting ideas 
that I was mulling on. And so from there, I continued in my career um, a few more years, and then I continued to have this itch. And all throughout my life, health, wellness were really important to me as an athlete, as somebody who just kind of had that lean, maybe growing up in Marin. And one thing that I had always recognized is that after finding acupuncture in my 20s, I always just really felt so deeply cared for by mm -hmm. the people who I saw for acupuncture. In particular, it was these doctors of Chinese medicine who looked at the body with such poetry. Mm -hmm. It was so complex in the sense of no symptom is ever left behind. If you didn't sleep well last night, there's a whole conversation yes. about why. And if you are having digestive distress, no symptom is left behind, right? We dig in. Yeah. And yet there's this really simple way to cooling down the body if you're overly heated, to building up blood if you're in a deficient state. There's just mm -hmm. these really beautifully simple approaches to the body that I always admired. And so that was always in the back of my head somewhere. And then I kind of grew up the courage to enroll in the program. And I did. And that was in 2017. I was not yet a mom. Mm -hmm. And so there I was in this program, knowing I wanted to emulate that style of wisdom meets practical tools for helping people in their life, in their lifestyle choices, and with this really beautiful medicine to try and feel good in their bodies. So that, that brought me to the program. And then I had my son in 2018 and that's mm -hmm. really where fourth house was born yeah. because, and we can, we'll dig into this, but yeah. I think the realization that no matter how many resources you have lined up for yourself, and how many friends and sisters and sisters-in-law and my mom being nearby, no matter how many people in your village, so to speak, the postpartum time is ripe with complexity. Mm -hmm. And so then from that point, every paper, every research project, every class, every question in my mind became this test case for this proof of concept. Like, is this, could this be a business? Can yeah. I apply what I'm learning in this program to this specific niche? And it, it became my obsession, really, this postpartum yeah. wellness and how do we set ourselves up and how do we optimize postpartum care? Mm -hmm. And then I had my daughter at the end of the program and I've had an, uh, my last one since. And so each one has sort of helped hone the vision for where yeah. fourth house is today, but that's sort of the arc. And like, I love what you said. It's so not linear. Yes. And that took a minute for me to get comfortable with, yes. with it not being linear because I am in my mind. I was a linear thinker. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the corporate ladder that I was slowly climbing and then sitting here today, it's, it's funny to reflect, but yeah. And so interesting too, that it felt like the universe also put the postpartum chapter of your life with your arc of going into more of something that you were following, something that you were so passionate about. If you had maybe had kids later, maybe you wouldn't have discovered or like stumbled upon this very, very tender time Oh, in a woman's life. Absolutely. I had no idea. And I think yeah. one of the first phone calls I made after having my son was mm -hmm. to my sister, who I think I brought some lame gift to her when she had her first kid. <laughs> I mean, I was 19. And I just said, Jenny, I had no idea. I yeah. had no idea what you have gone through these last 
it was eight years. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, you you just don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So I, it's such a blessing that this convergence of timelines occurred for me. And I was able to sort of witness so many of my peers and friends and colleagues, sisters also having babies, Mm -hmm. and yet also having these same real struggles in many different ways. And so again, like I said, it's that proof of concept. Mm -hmm. All mothers everywhere, I think, are having these dialogues. They just look a little different. I like to say we're all in the same storm. We're each in a very different boat, Mm -hmm. but we're all in the same storm. Yeah. Um, and so there's this relatability, even though your circumstances might be totally different from a fellow mother, mm-hmm. um, which is what I think is so magical about these conversations. So when I was looking on your website, you have this beautiful pregnant woman. And I, for some reason in that moment, I got so teary because I often think about how tough the postpartum period was, but like, also I am nostalgic for it. It is so bizarre how that happens. And so I was thinking for you, do you feel so lucky every single day you're exposed to this magical little slice of life? Yes, totally. (laughs) And it's, it's how I feel about labor and delivery too. I mean, it's, it's happy medicine, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is a truly, it it really feels almost magical to be a part of this with people. And I think what's one of the challenges of the work is it's such a time of anxiety and stress and you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And then sitting in my shoes, when I'm in the clinical setting, Mm -hmm. I know what I know from Mm -hmm. my own life. And then I know what I know clinically. And so my role in that moment is to support each person in their Mm -hmm. unique journey, meet them where they are. And sometimes quiet the urge to just say, it's going to be okay. This doesn't matter. This really won't matter in, yeah. in a month. <laughs> totally. um, but all that's to say is like, it is such a magical time in a person's life. And what's cool is that you meet a first time mom mm-hmm. and there's a whole conversation around needs and challenges there. But then some of my clients are fourth time moms and everything in between. And so, you know, we all need support. We always need help. And you're never done needing help as yeah. a mom. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it really feels like a special part of a special chapter of someone's mm-hmm. life to get to yeah. be a very, very small part of their journey is yeah. really special. Right. As the individual, you know, you go through it, postpartum is forever, but there's this very, very specific time and you go through it once or twice or ever four times, however many times you go through it and you move on. But from where you sit, it's almost like you're almost like in it every day, indirectly, obviously not yourself going through it, but helping clients go through it. I think that's just, I mean, so fun to reflect yeah. on. And this is why mm-hmm. when I think back to leaving a job that was incredible, mm-hmm. it would be a funny place to be now yeah. <laughs> to <see laughs> what's really going funny. on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it was such an incredible place. And yet I didn't light up like this when I right. talked about what we were selling and <laughs> the, the things that we were doing. This is like, what could be more inspiring, uplifting, deeply emotional, personal, and yet so collective. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's incredible to be witness to these journeys. Yes. Okay. What does fourth house stand for? What's the symbolism or meaning behind it? Yeah. So I guess coming from our branding days, I was obsessed with this 
need to create a brand name that felt like it had meaning to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was just my own obsession, probably yeah. self-induced pressure. Sure. But it really mattered to me. And I think, it, again, that's bringing in our old days of marketing, branding, how, mm-hmm. how you show up. Your brand name is your name. It's how you show up in the world. So I was mulling over many different things. And then after having Buckley, a friend gave me the book Momstrology, which I love to recommend to people. Okay, okay. I've never heard of it. Mm -mm. All right. So it's a great book. I'll send it to you. It's essentially, it's a book about parenting, mothering according to your astrological symbol and how to parent your child according to theirs. Mm. which is so cool. So there's like the Libra mom and then there's the Leo rising mom and then there's the cancer boy and how to parent the cancer boy and the Pisces girl and the Gemini boy. So it's, it's awesome. And I, I was new to astrology and I'm still learning Mm because there's just so much to know and learn. But in that book, I started to read about the houses of the Zodiac. So not just the signs, but the different houses and for example, the 10th house refers to the, the arc of our career. Mm-hmm. And each house is sort of representative of a different area of our life. And the fourth house is, it has to do with our relationship to the maternal figure and our relationship to our sense of home and groundedness. Mm-hmm. It's the foundation of who we are. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm like fourth house, mm-hmm. the maternal figure. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fourth house. Okay. Uh Just sort of sat with it for a while. And then on a hike with a friend, I shared with her what I was thinking. And she's like, fourth house, like the fourth trimester. It's perfect. And I was like, yes, that is. Yes. Yes. That's a meaning too. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so there's a, there's a personal symbolism for me. And then there's the fourth trimester. I think this idea of four, 40 days, fourth trimester, it's all that's terminology that we're accustomed to now. And so I think it works for people. They don't have to ask me what it means, but I love when people do, because as I learn about astrology, there's just so much to unpack and it felt like a nice synergy there. And then the fourth trimester, is that, I mean, I feel like I'm in month 15 and I'm like, still in the fourth trimester, Uh But, but is it, technically it's supposed to be the three months because every trimester or every trimester is yeah three months so is it It like after birth so it's interpreted a couple different ways the fourth trimester as a construct I think means that intense acute recovery phase of postpartum and so if you look back I mean long, long time ago to the ancient wisdom traditions, um, Indian medicine, Chinese medicine, they all pretty much everywhere except for our modern practices celebrate the postpartum period as this period of turning inward for what amounts to about 40 days. Um, And so that's different than a trimester as we think of it. But that's what was celebrated culturally. If you think about, you know, the first 40 days after birth being this time of literally confinement is how it mm-hmm. translates from Mandarin. It means confinement. It means close your doors. Nobody comes in except for your female relatives who cook for you around the mm-hmm. clock and who allow you to be in your bed with a baby on your chest. Mm-hmm. And that is all you do. Yeah. Um, and it's a really beautiful practice in that you are celebrated for just slowing down and working through this portal of becoming a mother. And so that's kind of where the term 
comes from. And then if you think about um, modern day society, it's that six week period where you are yet to go back to your doctor. You're really in the thick of it. it. You're still having those acute recovery symptoms. Um, And then you go back to your doctor and then you move into this new phase Mm -hmm. of postpartum, which I don't call the acute phase, but you're still in that raw emotional state. Yeah. So it's a trimester is sort of a loose term as we think about the definition of the fourth trimester. There's also another term called the fifth trimester, which is symbolic of the return to work, right? So you've, so however long that is, say your maternity leave is 20 weeks and then at, you know, 20 weeks in a day, you go back to work, you're quote unquote in your fifth trimester. And that has its whole other layers of complexity of identity. Mm -hmm. Who am I? childcare, division of labor in the home, all those things. Yes. There is a book, Fifth Trimester. I feel like someone recommended it. Yeah. Okay. Did you read it? I didn't read it, but it's coming up a lot in my work now that my clients are back to work and we're kind of in these new cycles, right? The clients who I started with in their early days of pregnancy, Mm -hmm. postpartum, and now they're well on their way. Some are having their, you know, subsequent children. And so we talk about it a lot as the cycle repeats and as the needs change and evolve. And yet there's still so many repeat needs that are yet to be really attended to. Yeah, Right. okay. Because we're on the topic of definitions and defining things matrescence did I say that right yes I've never never heard that word until reading your website (laughs) oh I mean how does it make you feel for me I feel so like yes this is exactly it yeah yes there's something very romantical about it or something (laughs) yeah yeah I can define it for you okay tell me maybe for the listeners yeah yeah um so it was coined by an anthropologist Dana Raphael and she basically said this is akin to adolescence in the sense that Mm. it's a developmental phase of new motherhood. It refers to the process of becoming a mother, um, which I love because I always say like we are, it's a process is it is a process unfolding and there is no finish line. This is just a constant reiteration of um, unfolding, peeling back our layers. And so what's interesting about it is that because there is the parallel with adolescence, there are so many similarities. There's hormonal surging and shifting. Our bodies are shifting. Our identity is totally shifting. Our relationships have probably shifted. And so if you put those two terms side by side, I think it's a really powerful narrative of a woman's life. It's like these two major, and then of course, with menopause after that, there's just these huge monumental moments in a woman's life that are defined by pretty similar, albeit dramatic changes. Yes. Yes. Okay. That was the first time I heard the word and I love the comparison. I didn't put together the comparison to adolescence, but it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to switch into very, very high level, but the topic of birth and your birth experience. So You've been through it three times, which is yes. Okay, remind me your little one's ages. So Buckley is—he'll be five in June. Okay, he likes to tell me he's four and three quarters. So I shouldn't say four and a half anymore. Lennon will be three in March, and our youngest Bo is eight months. 
So okay. we're quote unquote, we're in the, we're in the fog. I think yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, someone once used the word in the trenches to me and that really, really totally. resonated. Yes. <laughs> okay. So after having three children, if you could just sum up, what do you know to be true about childbirth after going through it three times? Childbirth is, and if I could do it again, I, I 100% would. I, I, like we were saying with the postpartum period, Mm -hmm. yes, it's very complex and sticky and challenging. Um, but I also think amnesia is a super powerful cocktail Mm -hmm. in that you quickly forget how hard Mm -hmm. things are. And so I look back on childbirth and all I remember is Mm -hmm. this really romantic overflowing with love, this bubble, this cocoon where Mm -hmm. the world sort of stops for a minute and it's just you and your partner and your care team. Yeah. And it's scary and it's hard and it's challenging, but I do think that amnesia Mm -hmm. changes the way that we look back in hindsight, right? right? Even eight months looking back, all I remember are the positives of course, with with my first birth, I remember the challenges because it's what set me on this path. And so I think if there is a nugget of wisdom in having a couple side by side and really identifying the learning, it's that to best set yourself up. And the way I set myself up for the biggest learning is I had a plan leading into my first birth yeah. and that plan went completely sideways as Mm -hmm. if when I say that to people, they just nod in in total understanding. It's like this visceral thing. Like, yes, yes, I was there too. And sometimes they go exactly to plan and those are also beautiful births. But I think where I approach it now, clinically, now that I'm done having my own is like Mm -hmm. to be prepared is really the work Mm -hmm. and to have a plan is a really dangerous trap um, because so much of this does not go to our plan. It's so out of our control in many mm-hmm. ways, both being in the medical system in a hospital where many of us deliver, you're just at the mercy of kind of the system, yeah. but also it, you're, you're dealing with another life. It's not us in control at that yeah. point. It's the body doing its sort of primal yes. thing of, of getting this baby out. And of course, there are complexities with so many things, as you know. And so I think the preparation is key. And that's really where the work that I do centers around. It's let's help you prepare. Let's ask the tough questions. Let's arm you with all the knowledge, but then let's really step away from any firm grasp on a plan Mm -hmm. that we have so that you can navigate the ebbs and flows of how it all goes. Yeah. Yeah. I did a couple courses before delivering and I do feel like the narrative I kept hearing is you can have a plan, but chances are nothing will go according to plan. (laughs) Right. And that's uncomfortable for some of us who Uh are more these kind of like type A thinkers. Mm -hmm. We, we prepare in every other element of our life. We just, we prepare for things, right? And I know you well enough to know that you're this way. Mm -hmm. And so just to go with something totally unprepared feels very unnatural. And yet it's one area of life where over planning and over preparing and knowing too much can sometimes be a little bit difficult as well. It can set you up for a difficult experience. Yeah. Do you feel that as well? Yes. What happened in the moment is it's out of body. You, you just, 
the pain takes over, your body takes over, you use the word primal, it's just this primal thing happens. So And I'm thinking a lot, as you were talking, I was also thinking a lot about going into the next experience. And I'm curious for you with going, you know, your second and third after your first, for me, the next experience, at least I'll, I'll kind of, I'll know what it's like to be in the hospital. I'll know the level of pain to expect. Your first is just all just a crapshoot. You have no idea. (laughs) And so with the second, at least you kind of know the basics. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah. And I think you know what's important to you. Yeah. So I always laugh looking back at like my hospital list, my hospital bag checklist from my first. And then like, did yeah. I even have a bag packed for my third? Yeah. Um, it's a joke, but but it's yeah. kind of true. It's like you yeah. fixate on these things. And you and I have talked about this. It's, I think, a larger conversation around control, how we want to control every little bit of this journey. And for someone like me, who is very comfortable in a controlled environment, my lesson, my first one, and I've had to learn it many, many times now, again, is that I'm not in control. And so stop trying to so firmly grasp something that cannot be controlled. And so that's the beauty of that first time. And I always say that the wisdom of experience for the subsequent experiences in childbirth is such a gift because you know what you care about. I didn't care about the lavender spray and having my own gown, but I really cared about my candles and my, the lights being low and what playlist was playing. And that's all I cared about. And so I, that's an example of my preferences, but I think it's a larger comment on just how do we prioritize what matters to us? Yeah. And the first time we think everything matters yes, and we can control true. everything. Yeah. And we we really step away from that in yeah. subsequent times. Yeah. It's nice to hear that. Hopefully for you, it sounds like you loosen the reins a little bit, right? Oh, you just like relax. Yes. Like other things were important, but there was for a sure. sense of letting go. Um, and I think it's so beautiful and it's so healing. Yeah. It's so healing because- yes this is another thing that I've learned and it relates to the conversation we're having, but the other healing thing about having a second or a third or just more kids than one is it has alleviated the intrinsic notion that everything that I did or do is directly, it shows up in my kid, right? Mm -hmm. Everything I ate, everything I did or didn't do, every thing I shouldn't have done that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, maybe that's why that's happening. Yes. And it was like always on my shoulders. Right. Yeah. But then you see these different children who mm-hmm. all had pretty much the same circumstances, both in the womb and in their first years yes. or months. And they're all completely different. Yeah. And so it's, <laughs> it alleviates me as the mom. Uh-huh. And I think hopefully us as moms yes. of this pressure of saying everything that we do good and bad will influence good and bad our children and I think of course yeah we are the main influence influencers of how they grow up in this world but they have their own predestined fate and journey Mm -hmm. that they're on too so that's Mm -hmm. another thing that I think was so healing in my subsequent experiences yes I love that so much okay so if when I think about my very early postpartum period with Maddox. (laughs) Of course, there's so many positive things. But when I do think about the struggle, I think a lot about like, 
with postpartum anxiety, I was there and I was present, but I was always in the background, just worried, worried Mm -hmm. I was doing something wrong or worried that the wake window was too short or too long. Or I would be, I actually remember it's the Super Bowl this weekend. And I remember last Super Bowl, we went to my parents' house and my mom's friend said, Gina has postpartum anxiety, doesn't she? To my mom. Mm -hmm. And I probably in the moment was like, God, really? You can tell her, oh, felt a little bit defensive that that was the realization from the, the party. And I reflect back on that scenario. And what I remember was I was there, but I wasn't really there in the moment at the party. I was, my mind was over here worrying about, did he get enough ounces or what's he going to do next? So when I think about kind of the, there's so many high points, of course, to this new snuggly little baby, but there also was a lot of struggle. And so I'm curious for you, like when you look back and like could just kind of give a overview or like a, a quick synopsis, almost like bird's eye view, how would you describe some of that time for you, your first time through, not second mm. and third? Such a good question. Um, and yeah, I can totally relate to, I call it the the CNN ticker of motherhood, where even if you're relaxing at the spot, you're like diapers. Yes. Tylenol. Yeah. Oh, Tylenol shortage. Like it, you just don't stop. You don't yeah. stop. Yeah. Um, so I can so relate to that. So that first time with Buckley, um, and I had the fortune of being able to compare it to a complete COVID postpartum with my second. Mm. And so there's a big learning there. I was really hellbent on not letting a baby change our life in, mm. in a sense that was, so, it's so funny to look I back love because it. like yes. pretty much my whole life is completely different, but I was really set on like, we're going to travel. We're going to walk around the city. We yeah. will be out and about at restaurants. And so I think in my mind, I was eager to prove that to myself, mm-hmm. if I really look back and if I'm really looking honestly. Um, and so we had all the visitors, we had people staying with us. I was making dinner. We were, you know, we were really back to that, that same clip that we were before having Buckley. And it wasn't me pretending so much as it was like, this is so fun. This is yeah. so great. I'm high on adrenaline and endorphins and my body feels like a totally new body, but great. How fun. We have a thousand visitors coming over. And so we just went, went, went. And I think once that adrenaline disappears, once the hormones really take shape in their new, um, very, very low state for a while, especially during lactation, the reality sets in. And that's where, and I always make sure that my clients have sessions during that point, right? Like week three, week six, week eight, when things really start to shift, both from an external support, as well as just your own physiology really changing. Mm -hmm. And so I would say from a physical standpoint, my body felt worse than I ever expected it would. Mm. Um, I didn't understand what that meant and I didn't feel great. I felt anxious and I couldn't really articulate why or how, Mm -hmm. but I just felt out of body is Mm -hmm. the right word. I didn't feel anything familiar about who I was, except for I knew I loved the infant cuddly juicy. And I really enjoyed breastfeeding. Um, it was hard of course, in many ways, but I, I found such an oxytocin rush from that experience. And I'm very grateful for that, Mm -hmm. that it could counterbalance some of the difficulties. 
And I was also the first one. I had a few friends who had gone before me, but I was on the earlier side of my immediate friend group. So I felt a lot of people looking to me for insights, for what would you recommend? A lot of people about to have a baby right after Buckley was born. And so there was that kind of excitement and buzz, but I also felt just exhausted and tired and beat. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and again, asking for help and being really vulnerable and not two things, two things that I'm not totally great at in this chapter of my life. And so really learning how to ask for help and how to say, yes, please do bring me dinner instead of, no, don't worry. I'll have it for us. So accepting help was a big learning um, in that, in that phase. But there are so many romantic parts of it too, Gina. Like yeah. I've never felt closer to Mike, my, yeah. my husband in that experience. I've never felt more vulnerable. I did not know the blood and gore that was coming for me. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, it's such a duality. Like there yeah. is with everything. There's so much difficulty and complexity. And yet there's so much that I look back on with just wonder and awe and yeah. gratitude. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a bit of that. It's different amnesia, but it is, I think, too, when you're like, for me, thinking about still wanting to grow our family, it's like you forget the hard parts, but also because you went through the hard parts, I feel like already better prepared to show up a little bit differently yes. for the next. So it's a different sort of amnesia. It's almost just more like you kind of learned learned some valuable lessons. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And the wisdom comes from just having been through it before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's so cool is each birth, each baby, each time you go through it, each pregnancy will be pretty different. And yet, you know yourself better. Yeah. Next time around. And that's what I feel has again been such a part of the healing is like, and watching my clients go through this is, you know, what matters to you, you know, how you feel in your body, Mm -hmm. and you almost learn to trust your instinct and your Mm -hmm. intuition. And I think that's the real beauty of and and probably the skill that we hone in motherhood the best is what is that gut? What is Jackie in my gut trying to tell me? And you've always said, like, listen to your gut trust your gut. But I think in motherhood that then becomes the script for Mm. what do we need to do in this moment? And so you know yourself better those subsequent times that you go through these really intense experiences. And and that, like I said, it's a gift to go through Mm. it again with a preview of what it could look like. Yes, 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 (laughs) yes. Yeah, there is something, there's a confidence that you, I just felt like, I cannot believe I I did that. And then even then the postpartum period, I, I weathered that storm. I'm stronger for it. There's this sense of warriors, too strong a word, but this inner strength and this confidence that I think motherhood can unlock in a way yes. that is such a gift. And again, that's the perfect way to think about it. And it's the, this confidence in self. Mm-hmm. That's what to me is totally yeah. different. Yes, it's totally. learning to trust myself yeah. and knowing that if I just sleep on it or if I just step away for a minute and really think about what if yeah. it's a problem with one of your children or if it's something, a decision that needs to be made or if it's time to stop breastfeeding and you just know it in your gut, mm-hmm. learning to listen to that is, yes. I think, the yes. I agree. Warrior is the word that comes yes. to mind. Yes. It's It's right there. Okay, I really want to talk to you about acupuncture because you taught me 
about acupuncture, which is a funny full circle moment that like here you are now specialized in Chinese medicine and acupuncture and herbalism. And like you weren't doing it at the time and yet you kind of bestowed that knowledge on me then. <laughs> and here so we are. Funny, so funny <laughs> how the world works. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. And so I feel like with acupuncture, a lot of people use it for fertility. That is maybe a time in their life when they go. And so for you, I think now almost we're going on the other side of fertility, the healing after. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. just so curious, what are people coming to you for? Is it healing? Is it mental health? Is it all of the above? How does that look in the postpartum period? Yeah, so I think the the gateway, so to speak, for acupuncture with really we'll call it in pregnancy is aches and pains. So mm. back pain, sciatica, um, and then you get the difficulty sleeping, GERD, acid reflux, you get some of the GI discomforts that come, but it's really that pain that mm. brings people okay. to their knees and to calling you to say yeah. like, I cannot walk. Um, and so then it's, it's not typically mental health mm-hmm. as the, the reason that people seek acupuncture in pregnancy, at least, although if somebody has had experience with acupuncture, they very well understand. Yeah. Um, and so then it's like, let's do some trauma work. Let's do some identity work. Let's really focus on X, Y, and Z. But really I find pain is the thing that people come in for with postpartum work in particular. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, it's so powerful. You think about stagnation in the body. So you think about what's just occurred in the abdomen with you've had all your blood and energy we call chi in the center of the body. And now it's completely, you know, vacant, this abdomen, things are coming back into their physiological state. You have excess, you have deficiencies. And so acupuncture as a modality is really simply using needles to conduct the electricity of the body. And that's like a very, very simple way to think about it. And so electricity doesn't work when there's knots in the wires, when the wires are too saggy, when the wires are disconnected from where they're supposed to be. And so it's almost like we're using these needles to fine tune the energy system, to strengthen the meridian flow. There's 12 meridians that we talk about flowing up and down the body. Um, And then there are some extra ones that we use for specifically a mental health sort of angle. Mm -hmm. But it's this beautiful poetry of just really allowing the body to flow as it should. Um, And so when, when people look specifically at postpartum and the symptoms and the manifestations that can occur that we would intervene with acupuncture. It's things like prolapse. It's things like retention of the lochia, the bleeding after, Mm. if you're not having enough bleeding or if you're having too much bleeding yeah, and that's leading to sort of a a deficiency anemia type picture. Um, There's, there's many different ways that we can tackle that. Sometimes people come with a bruised tailbone. Some people come with still, you know, recurrent sciatica that's not yet recovered because things have shifted and you know in the body the elastin and everything allows this body to open up to this like miraculous place of having a five six seven eight nine ten pound baby in your body and so so much sort of orthopedic stress to the tendons the muscles the joints that can be really nurtured with acupuncture we're bringing blood flow we're bringing healing tissues to the area so that the body can do its own work, Mm. right? It's like you're tapping into this innate wisdom that the body already has. Yes. That's why acupuncture can be so powerful. 
Tell me, this is such a tactical question, but most acupuncturists look at your tongue and mm -hmm. they always do your pulse on both wrists. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm going to get this wrong, but isn't there like one finger, two fingers, three fingers or something like that? And is it, it's sticky, it's wet, it's slow, it's slippery. Is it also connected to organs or yes. the liver? Or So can you give some, yeah. give the listeners a mini lesson on that? <laughs> yeah. So tongue and pulse are two diagnostic methods that we use. And I will tell you right now, I could go back to school for another four years yeah. just to restudy these because yeah. you get, you get the very basics and yet there are people who have dedicated their whole life to understanding pulse diagnosis and mm -hmm. to really weaving it into their practice. So the tongue is, we can see pretty clearly the correlation to the digestive system, okay. to how it shows up in the tongue. We see it in the shape of the tongue, the color. Is there a coating? Is it cracked? Is it really dry? Are there teeth marks? Those tell us really quickly Got the it. overall kind of constitutional state of the digestive system. Mm -hmm. So then you think about the pulse. The pulse is a more comprehensive diagnostic method to tell us, um, like you said, it corresponds to different organ systems. Okay. And we think about organ systems similarly, but it's a little bit more of a broad interpretation. So like the liver and mind you, this is very, very old medicine before yeah. they were cutting open bodies and really figuring out what there was to see. So this is all through observation, which is incredible because they arrive at really similar conclusions. Um, but so the liver in Chinese terminology refers to the liver, the organ, as well as the nervous system. And so when we're feeling a specific pulse, we might feel something that feels in our terminology, really wiry. It's like a guitar string, like really, really firm when you try and feel it almost feels like a rope. And so that tells us the state of the nervous system as an mm -hmm. example. I'll give you another example. There, in the lung position in, that rules the sort of respiratory health, if we feel a really sort of buoyant, bouncy pulse, if we feel something that's almost like tapping the bottom of my finger, yeah. I can feel that the body is fighting an external pathogen. It tells us that the system is fighting something that it oh, doesn't yeah. like. And so there are these little cues and it, it's not to say that we say, okay, you are sick, you're fighting a pathogen, or you are stressed, your liver pulse is wiry. What it does and why it is so beautiful is that it tells us which question to ask next. Mm. We, de we don't use the pulse as a definitive decision around your health. We say, huh, okay, tell me how, have you been feeling aches and chills, any fever, any tickle in the throat? And then you say, oh yeah, I have had this sniffle all of a sudden, yeah. or I've been sneezing a lot today. Yeah. So it's almost like you're using the body cue to then ask the right question sure. that then gets the information out of the patient. So mm -hmm. that's what, that's how I use pulse. Okay. I use pulse in sort of a rudimentary way, but yeah, there's, there's so much there. There's millions just, of books on this. Fascinating to me. It is. And just hearing you talk about it and just the ancient tradition, it's just so rich. With just the, the system of the body and the meridians. I mean, I just, yeah, it's so, so interesting and fascinating. It really is. It's, it's a whole system and it's also a whole way of looking at nature. It's everything is mm. yin and yang. And at yeah. first I, I used to call it yin yang, right? Cause that's what we thought, but now yeah. I've learned it's yin and yang and it's 
the duality of everything. There is a yin component to everything and there is also yang. And so with motherhood, I think the dualities show up everywhere for me too. I don't know if you feel that too, but yes. um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If you're a Dr. Becky listener, uh, one of my things I wanted to ask you for was, I don't know if you listen to Dr. Becky, but I was going to, I like knew of her, but I think then as you move on your journey of motherhood and start having a toddler and then a kid, and then you start really getting drawn to her content. Yes. But yes, two things can be true. <laughs> two things are true. And it's funny because it's a parenting book, but I use that in my life with adults oh, who totally. I live with, who oh, I yeah. am related to. Oh gosh, she's wonderful. Yeah. It, yeah. The parenting books become uh-huh. more and more of a hot topic as you get yeah. into those toddler years. Um, I love Dr. Becky, but it's that thing. Two things are yeah. true. The duality yes. of everything. Yeah. So the, the Chinese me- medicine training I think that I call upon is so there like spiritually it's in it's not in my day-to-day right it's not how I practice um I don't practice very by the book TCM traditional Chinese medicine because I'm leaning on functional nutrition and I'm leaning on utilizing food and supplements in ways that are more modernized than really the traditional interpretation of Chinese nutrition but there is just this foundation that I think it stems mm-hmm. from that training. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we talk about, since you have a lot of different, um, you kind of integrate a lot of different modalities. Maybe we can talk about some simple tips for expecting mamas or new mamas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions that will correspond back to some tips. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you could give an expecting mama one tip and we kind of touched on a little bit of this, but based on like our preparation and our plan and our checklist, but yes, if you could give that mama one tip of something she should do before the baby comes, what would it be? Okay. So I have two that I always um, urge my clients to, to really do. And so the one is a more broad concept of preparing your care team. So that's really specific to clinicians who you will lean on in addition to your OB or your midwife or your doula, your birth doula, who are the people who you will call? And that's typically, it looks different for all of us, but it's your therapist, your pelvic floor specialist, Mm -hmm. mostly a PT. Who does your body work? Is it your acupuncturist? Is it a massage therapist that you really, you know, have a relationship with? who will help you with the other elements of your life, your food, your Mm -hmm. day-to-day, you know, who's going to help you manage your house, the things that need to get done, groceries, all of those things. So this is your care team. And I think I said it's clinicians, but then if you zoom out beyond that, there's a journaling exercise that I always recommend. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's so valuable for all of us. And what I coach people to do is write down the different people in your life that hold space for you really well. Mm -hmm. And then go deeper into that, into each of them. And what kind of space do they hold for you as you Uh think about motherhood? And so the example I give is with breastfeeding, because it's such a tricky topic, I think, across the board. Some people love it. Some people never do it or can't and despise it. And then Mm -hmm. there's the whole spectrum between. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if I were to say, oh, I cannot stand breastfeeding. It is so hard. I'm having such a hard time. If I said that to somebody who never did it or didn't want to do it or didn't like it, they might tell me then stop. But in that moment, even though I haven't said it, 
what I'm asking for is just to hold the space, just to listen, but I'm not Mm -hmm. ready to stop. So if I ask the wrong person or someone who isn't my person in this, in each kind of camp that you're thinking of, Mm -hmm. you might not get an answer that really holds the space for you. Whereas if you know, okay, this is my person for when nursing is hard and I still want to keep going. This is my person for when I'm ready to wean. This Mm. is my person for when I'm having a difficult moment with my partner and Mm. I feel safe going to them with this kind of thing. And so that's the exercise. And I think it's really valuable for all of us, but it's really about identifying who to go to for what and when, and knowing that it won't be that same person for all the things because we can't be everything to everyone. Right. right. So we serve, uh, we serve different purposes for yes. different people. So yes. as a, as a mom to be, who are those people and what do they serve for you mm-hmm. is the best exercise that I can imagine doing. I wish I did it myself, but it's taken me this long to realize that that's, yeah. the, that's the trick. Right. I love that. Cause you're so right. We collect friends, right? We have this orbit of friends and they all bring something different to the table, which is why no two are the same, you know, which is why we are attracted and drawn to them because they bring out different sides in us. And I think that's such a smart exercise to get really clear on like, who is the best fit for you for what? I think that's such a cool concept. And it's like setting up your team. <laughs> it's like, exactly. yeah, it's your team, which it's is exactly what so it is. Important. And and it's clinicians, it's doctors, it's yeah. um, spiritual guides, yeah. it's family. And yeah. in that exercise, it's also knowing maybe who isn't the person for you right now. And, mm-hmm. and those, I, I mean, we've probably both been here. Like you realize, Ooh, like I, I'm not mm-hmm. going to call this person with this right now. Yeah. So it's, it's really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you, there's no one product or thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's like the yeah. mental exercises, yeah. I think. Did you love breastfeeding with all three of your littles or? I really it, did. I yeah. really did. Um, yeah. Lennon was my pandemic baby. So she and I were kind of connected <laughs> yeah. with, with one body for quite yes. a while. Yeah. Um, but the beauty of that is that we were on her schedule from day one because yeah the world was shut down. So we had no visitors. Contrary to my first experience, we had no one in the house. We never got her off of her rhythm because Mm -hmm. where were we going? Right. Right. And so that was a lesson in, Oh, this confinement thing, this ancient practice that every other culture in the world has seemingly figured out. Mm -hmm. There's some method to that because, and there's some truth to that idea of slowing down, turning inward Yes. focus on the baby. Yes. Everybody else can visit later. Yes. And so that's, that was a really cool experience. Yes. Um, and with my most recent guy, I, I loved breastfeeding and two things are true. True. I was, I was ready to have my body back to be yeah. with my other kids. Yeah. And yeah. so you, the, the complexities um, are different as I said, but sure. I do, I do really get a high from breastfeeding. Yeah. Yeah. That you're, you're so spot on with that oxytocin hit. <laughs> oh yeah. That's so true. Um, okay. What sort of foods are good p- for postpartum healing and recovery? I remember being so ravenous postpartum and yeah. I remember just nursing, you know, three times in the middle of the night. And every time I would nurse, I would, in our old house, we've since moved, but I think we moved and Maddox was like five or six weeks old. And 
we would, I know we would, who knows why I didn't just nurse in my bed, but I would get up, I would go to the nursery, I'd sit in the nursing chair and I'd have to go through the kitchen to get there. It was a very small house. And every time I'd go through the kitchen, I'd get those Aussie bites in the middle of the night, just Aussie bites. anyways you're you're ravenous and so thirsty oh my goodness we have the filter on our fridge we had to have auto ship filter because i was going through so many gallons of water through that filter and it would be like replace replace (laughs) yeah and i don't know if you've weaned but like the experience of not breastfeeding anymore it's it's a habit to drink that much water at that point and then you're like oh I, I don't think I need it's this. It's hard now to get anymore. like a, a one bottle down. I'm like, you got to get back on your breastfeeding water. You're like, no, yeah. I know the foods that are really, so for, there's two things, there's lactogenic foods and herbs and supplements. And that's really what we're talking about with breastfeeding specifically. Yeah. But then there's just more broadly, as you think about recovery, the, the best thing I can say is to, in the first, in that acute phase that we were talking about, to slow it down for the body. And that's warm, cooked super easy to digest foods. So I always say stews, soups, broth-based soups, bone broth, rice, some chicken, lentils are pretty good because of their blood building property. And then of course, leafy greens for all the folate and all of the, you know, B vitamins and all the, the micronutrients that we really need to sustain the demands of breastfeeding. But there is this tendency to eat the meal that we've been looking forward to. And I always say, yes, do that, but then get right to that bone broth and that really soothing food. Because the body, if you think about just the physical shape of the digestive organs and what has happened with making space for the body, for the baby rather, it's doing so much shape-shifting in those first two, four, six weeks is six weeks. The symbolic nature of that is really like the body is physiologically back to where it was. The Mm -hmm. uterus is back down to its pre-pregnancy size, Mm -hmm. but it's really in those first couple weeks where we're talking about letting the digestive system just not um, overwork itself so that your body's resources can go really towards the healing Mm -hmm. um, from the delivery. Mm -hmm. And then the, the lactogenic foods and herbs and supplements are things like oats and fenugreek and some other things that we lean on chia seeds. um, You mentioned flax, all the things that we put into those little bites that are so high power. Um, And that's what you want to think of is you want to think about the caloric intake being high power, every bite of something having a lot of nutrient dense foods that are just easy access so that when you're having a bite of something, it's 150 calories of nut butter and protein and fat. That's really powerful for the milk supply itself. Yeah. I drink the fenugreek. I had forgotten this until I was thinking of your tips is I drink so much mother's milk tea. (laughs) And that is, I have a a store of it basically in my pantry. (laughs) It's time to get rid of it. I'll send it to you. Um, I, I yeah, guzzle next that, baby. So. I'm stocking yep. up. Yeah. <laughs> My gift to you. Um, yeah. I mean, the fenugreek is so great. And for some people, it can be really tough on the belly and tough on the baby's belly. So I don't always 
recommend that we start there, but I love yeah. that mother's milk tea yeah. and it really packs a punch with generating a supply. Yeah. The only tea I caution against, and I learned this the hard way is peppermint. Peppermint tea mm. has um, the opposite effect on your milk supply. It really it. can slow things down and pretty quickly, surprisingly, yeah. normally with foods and supplements, it's a slow and steady, mm -hmm. very subtle thing that we're looking at in terms of how someone feels. Um, but peppermint, it zaps the supply. And so for any nursing mama or yeah. soon to be, that's the one ingredient that I do, you know, within the realm of tea sure. that I do recommend that we sure. keep an eye on. It's the one tea. I am such a tea drinker and it's the one tea. I just, I don't, I don't have it in the tea drawer. Somehow. So, interesting. so for me being hot, sweaty, postpartum, you think of like, you're just, ah, yeah. and Peppermint tea is like my favorite yeah, thing to cool, yeah, down. cool down. And yeah. so, so anyway, you learn, you live and you learn, but um, yeah, that mother's milk tea is, is a go-to. I actually recently did a clean out of my tea drawer and just, I had a pantry with bottles and pump parts. And it was just like, uh -huh. Gina, this chapter closed, mm -hmm. it'll open again. And whenever it's going to open again, but like, you need to clean this area out. And so I had so much backstock of that mother's oh, milk. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I've now just done that for the last time. Yeah. And I, for some reason you think I'd feel this like nostalgia around my pump. And I was like, goodbye. I never want to see you. Um, no, it's like, I I'm ready to clean house of all this stuff. And I wonder, is that representative of like a, a deeper, like I am now moving into a new phase yeah. of of early motherhood yeah. but I, I I loved it right it's yeah. like it's not that I didn't love it it's just a new yeah. time yeah it's totally were you a spectra gal spectra oh, die hard die hard, die hard. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it and then you know what that one pump got me through all three no days. way it did yeah oh my, my friend God, was like you know you could have gotten a new one each yeah. time with yeah, insurance yeah. and I was yeah. like huh I just be, I had this very sentimental <laughs> thing and I was like there's no way it's gonna get me through yeah, but yeah. five years strong that's yeah. so great so great <laughs> okay well this has just brought me so much joy and I have learned so much just thank you for sharing all your teachings and wisdom and you're gonna touch so many new mamas and less newer mamas and mamas to be so thank you wow. so much for being here Thank you. And thank you for creating this incredible space to just normalize how different motherhood can look yes, like for all yes. of us. It's so wonderful what you're doing. Thank so you. Thank, thank you. you for saying that. Yes. I love when you can turn a struggle into something that could potentially help someone else, you know, yeah, <laughs> which and is you are. what this was born you out are. of. So. You are. Okay. Yeah, so let's awesome. end on our three questions that I ask every mama. Okay. Okay. So. What is one thing that took you by surprise or you feel like no one ever talked about that you learned was part of being a mom? I think it's the identity shift. I mm -hmm. think it's the inevitable, your reality will change. And it's, yeah, the reality. But I think I didn't realize quite as much of how much of myself would change in the unfolding of these kind of first five years. It's everything from my relationships to what I value to how I, you know, how I would introduce myself to a new group of people. Like it's really, it's just changed yourself at, at, at like a cellular level. And I didn't really realize that. Yeah. 
I was, I love that this is your answer. I was just talking about this with a girlfriend about how I have to go on this work trip and I have to be gone for almost 10 days. And in the old days, pre-baby, send me wherever. It is a work trip. It's fully oh, yeah. paid for. Right. <laughs> I'll extend. Oh. <laughs> yes. And now, and even with your partner, like you identify as this couple and everything is light and fun and comfortable and and you're you've you've identified yourself like in the marriage and then you have a child. And to your exact what your answer was, it is this huge identity shift from all cylinders, whether it's your work or your relationship or your friendships. It is, it's so true. And I couldn't agree with your answer more. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that's a whole other episode in and of itself. Yes, it sounds it like. It <laughs> it we'll have to come back on next year. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> okay. So take, we touched all this a little bit, but take yourself back to the early days of having Buckley. If you could give your first time mom version of you one piece of advice, what would it be? I think it's a bit of a cliche, but it's just don't sweat the small stuff so much. And that thing that I was talking to you about, about how I now realize that he's on his own path and it was predestined. It didn't really matter what I ate or didn't do or what bassinet we got, right? Like these things don't really matter. Yeah. And for me, that alleviates the pressure for it all to be so perfect. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, looking back, I think that the five years ago, me needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm taking that one away. It's such a good lesson. As you said, as you had your, your other two, like you were the same person, it, essentially they grew inside of you. Yes. You did the same things quote, you know, and they all turned out different and they're all okay. You're right. That is such a lifter of any pressure to put on yourself and so that right. I'm sure like your point first time mom version of you just needed to hear what you learned yeah. when you had your third <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and yet you don't want to say something to somebody who's never gone through this that yeah. is so annoying I remember people saying what does labor feel like you'll know you'll just know and I always felt like uh, what do you mean? Yeah. Surely you have a better way to help me out here. Yeah. And, and then of course, here I am like, you'll know, you'll know it's, it's a primal thing. And so it's a delicate balance of not wanting to sound annoyingly out of touch with how it feels to be that first time of everything. Mm -hmm. And yet there is wisdom that comes with just taking a step yeah. back and knowing it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And that comes through the experience, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yep. So true. Okay. If you could sum up motherhood in one word or phrase, what would it be? All right. I need three words. Okay. Any, um, phrases and or I, sentences. <laughs> I think it's work in progress hmm. and it speaks to that. Maybe arcing back to our talk about matrescence, but mm -hmm. it's, you're never finished. You never arrive or I haven't. And I don't, I, I just feel like it gets better and better because you get more comfortable in who you are. Like I said, I think I'm at least getting much better at listening to my gut, knowing and trusting that that's a valuable source of knowledge. Yeah. And it's, you're always learning. We're mm -hmm. always learning. And we're always learning from our kids, from the way life shifts and changes. And yeah, it's, yeah, we're never done. 
with anything. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think it's that work in progress. That's at least how it feels to me. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good answer. I like that. And I, I, I agree with you. I love getting all the answers to these because no one has ever said the same word or phrase twice. So I was thinking just, I should yeah. go back and yeah. make sure that I'm <laughs> no, not being redundant. They're all how... original. That's why it's <laughs> so amazing. Someday I'll compile a book or something. They're good questions. They're hard, but they're really good. Oh, Gina, it's so oh, fun chatting with you. So fun chatting with you. Okay. Will you end by just telling people where they can find more information about you? For sure. So I have a website, which is fourthhouse.com. And I also have an Instagram at fourth house wellness, and um, you can email direct me directly at Jackie at fourth house.com one H. Love it. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, friend. Um, it's Thank so good you, to Gina. see you and thanks for carving out the space for this. Thank you. Thank you. I'll hope to see you soon. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of mama to mamas. Bye.